Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I've been looking forward to these playoffs since last year, and it's been my goal. And we're here now, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it looks very promising for us. We're happy, but we're not satisfied. We've got bigger goals, and so got to keep working. As a competitor, as a player, um, to be in a situation like this is something that you, you dream about. You know, we had some time off to uh, regroup, uh, lock back in, hype, antsy. I'm ready for whatever right now. Bottom line is both teams got to strap it up and go play on Sunday or Saturday. Friday edition of PFT Live. Here we are on the brink of the divisional round. Four games to come. Two Saturday, two Sunday. Peter King, Mike Florio, Peacock, Sirius XM 85, Sky Sports NFL, whenever they happen to play the program. Today, already getting some complaints from our friends in Europe about the timing of the playoff games and how it you know, affects their sleep overnight, Saturday and Sunday. Sorry, we don't set the times, folks. But regardless, we are on at a more reasonable time on Sky Sports than when the games will be played, especially the late games and podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Good morning, Peter King. How are you today? Good morning, Mike. I would think that the people in Europe would be a little bit happier with this playoff schedule because there's not a game at 820 Eastern time or whatever, 120 or 220 uh, Greenwich mean time. So, you know, in this particular weekend, you don't have games, at least on Sunday, you don't have games quite as late. But I, I think this is a fantastic weekend of games. And my biggest reason why is I just covered a couple of games last weekend the resurgent Detroit Lions. And Mike, I, I could talk for 20 minutes about the atmosphere in that place, about Dan Campbell walking out of the locker room 75 minutes before the game and saying the noise, the buzz, the humming in the stadium. 
the hair on the back of my neck was already standing up, you know, an hour and 15 minutes before the game. There was that one. And if you wouldn't have known the line on the game in Cleveland and Houston, you would have thought the Texans were favored by two touchdowns. That's how well they played. And, and the only reason I bring those things up, there is a tremendous interest now in Detroit, in my opinion, because of the city, because of the event, because of how incredible the moment is for this team that hasn't had one scintilla of football glory since Barry Sanders uh, you know, roamed the, uh, the Silver Dome. And so there's the whole Detroit part, but there's also Green Bay and Houston that absolutely manhandled, put up 48 and 45 points respectively last weekend as low seed, relatively speaking anyway, low seeds against teams that were favored. And so to me, I think you look at Houston going into Baltimore, Green Bay going into San Francisco, and this is not some bunch of slappies going in to play the 27 Yankees. This is not the Washington Generals, Mike. These are really good teams who could beat the Ravens, who could beat the 49ers. So I, I'm, I'm fired up about this weekend. I think it's going to be great. And we're going to break it all down over the course of the next two hours, getting you ready for Saturdays and Sundays games. The complaint, by the way, came from Germany. Not sure what time in Germany it is in comparison to England, but the complaints throughout the globe are going to come in as the Just NFL one hour globalizes. Different. It's always going to be in a bad time zone somewhere, and folks want to have it when they want to have it. Sorry, if you want it when you want to have it, if you want it at normal hours, you're going to have to move here. That's all I can tell you. All right, so before we get to getting folks ready for the Saturday and Sunday games, this is that weird time of year where the teams that remain are generating news. The teams that have been eliminated are generating news via seven ongoing head coaching searches. And a week that was crazy enough in the aftermath of the regular season finale as it relates to coaching changes to keep us on edge for when the next shoe is going to drop. And courtesy of Jerry Jones, who has a well-documented affinity for shoes, by the way, but that's a different story altogether. Thanks and no thanks to Mark Leibovitz <laughs> for that one. But, but I digress. Thanks to Jerry Jones, inadvertently or intentionally putting Mike McCarthy on the hot seat, he had to be removed from the hot seat, affirmatively declared Jerry Jones did this week that Mike McCarthy will be back instead of just allowing the world to go forward. I want to start with that because we're going to hear from Mike McCarthy. But somebody made the point to me yesterday, and I hadn't really thought of it because we get so caught up in the circus that is the Dallas Cowboys. The mere fact that they had to issue a statement that he's going to be back is a sign of a dysfunctional organization, one could argue, because normally functioning organizations don't put themselves in a position where they have to tell the world their coach is coming back. Their coach just comes back, Peter. Well, Mike, I think if you have watched in the last 52 weeks, because it was 52 weeks this weekend that the Dallas Cowboys looked absolutely toothless in losing the playoff game 
against the San Francisco 49ers in Santa Clara. And let us count the ways that the Cowboys have been disappointing in the intervening time. They lose to the 49ers in the playoffs narrowly, but toothlessly. They then come into this season saying, we're all in. This is our year. We got to win. And they go to San Francisco in week five and lose 42 to 10. And then later in the season, when they're trying to get their year back together, they lose in back-to-back weeks to Buffalo and Miami. And and then, obviously, they have the really one of the most embarrassing moments in franchise history in falling behind 27 to nothing to the seven seed. Now, we know that they're better than a normal seven seed, but still... To a seven seed, you're down at home, 27 nothing as the two seed in the conference. It's just ridiculously embarrassing. I didn't think there was any way that Jerry Jones could or would run it back. And I understand <clears throat> he kept Dave Campo for three years, you know, losing all the while. And, and I get it that he's very patient. He kept Jason Garrett for all that length of time. without the postseason success. But this just seemed like the time. And that is why I was just so surprised uh, that he brought Mike McCarthy back. Well, especially when you look at what he said immediately after they beat the Commanders to wrap up the regular (laughs) season. He said when asked about Mike McCarthy's status, we'll see how each playoff game goes, which made it pretty clear that there was a concern and there would be a consideration to making a change if things didn't go well. And they couldn't have gone much worse. I mean, the truth was Mike McCarthy's coming back no matter what, even if we get embarrassed at home by the seventh seed at a time when the seventh seed has never beaten the two seed in the four-year history of the expanded playoffs that let the seventh seed in. I don't know why there wasn't a better effort by the Cowboys to make it clear ahead of time that change wasn't going to be made? Do they love the drama so much? Do they love the attention so much? The numbers, ESPN was thumping its chest yesterday about how all the studio show's numbers were off the charts on Monday, all because of the Cowboys and all the talk about what Jerry Jones is going to do. Is he so concerned about that aspect of the business that he bungled and the Cowboys bungled the messaging on Mike McCarthy, created an expectation, a sense, a strong degree of momentum that McCarthy was going to be out and now he's staying how much harder it makes Mike McCarthy's job next year Peter to have to come back under this dark cloud that Jerry Jones has parked over him by the way this has been handled unless they sign and do an extension which we don't think is going to happen which is another contradiction in all this if all the glowing things that they put out there about McCarthy on Wednesday night are truly believed by the Cowboys Why wouldn't you want to keep him from becoming a free agent after this season? Why wouldn't you be signing him to a new contract? So I don't know what actually happened behind the curtain, but we know things always happen behind the curtain. And I was talking to a coach yesterday who said the buzz in coaching circles is that they wanted Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick had no interest. Bill Belichick wants to go to a a less aggressively covered market. He's had his fill of major market football. We'll talk later, I assume, about Belichick. But, and I think we're talking later in this segment about him. But, 
something happened between Sunday and Wednesday. This wasn't just Jerry Jones gave it 72 hours before he told the world how much he loves Mike McCarthy. That was three full days for something to go on before they settled on this idea that they're going to keep Mike McCarthy and they're going to act like they love Mike McCarthy, even if they're not going to give him a new contract. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I don't know about that coach's theory. And here's why, Mike. Really, what does, does Bill Belichick ever seem even remotely affected by the main, no matter where he coaches, there's going to be mania, you know, ESPN is going to set up there and whoever else, everybody's just going to way overcover what team he coaches. And that's why this to me is odd. It's odd for two reasons. Number one, Jerry Jones got to where he got in life to be able in 1989 to buy the crown jewel he believed of American sports franchises. And that's really what he's turned it into to buy the crown jewel of American sports franchises. You know how he got to where he got by being a ruthless businessman. And there have been so many times where uh, that we have seen that come out uh, You know, and I'll give you two examples. Number one, when he fires Jimmy Johnson and he says 500 guys could coach this team and just watch, I'm going to pick one of them. He picks Barry Switzer, and he thinks he's proven right because Switzer goes out and wins the Super Bowl the next year with the Cowboys. So, and then, you know, the other, I don't know that I'd call this ruthless, but against the advice, big advice, of his son, Stephen, a couple of years later, he signs Deion Sanders for a $13 million signing bonus and asks Stephen, after he says, I'm going to sign him to that, he says, you want to fight me right now, don't you? But those were really against the grain things to fire Jimmy Johnson. How can you fire Jimmy Johnson? He's won two Super Bowls. How can you pay Deion Sanders more than any quarterback makes? It's ridiculous. You can't do that. Well, he did it. But he seems to have settled into this part of life that sometimes, you know, Mike, when you get older, as I get older, 
I get a little bit less strident about things. Now, later, I do want to talk about one of the things I am strident about, which is a guy like Ben Johnson in a week that he's preparing for a playoff game, squeezing in five job interviews, which the NFL should be ashamed of itself for that. But I do want to get to that a little bit later. And be all that as it may with Jerry Jones, I think that he basically knew that he needed to do something. He knew he needed to take a big step. And quite honestly, if not Mike, if not Bill Belichick, why not Mike Vrabel? Why? And, and that, to me, is the bothersome thing about this, that I think he knew that he needed to do something, and he just said, it's a little more comfortable doing it this way. Well, and that takes me back to a theory that I kick around from time to time, and I'll be curious to see what you think of this. He acts like he is obsessed to the point of tormented by winning another Super Bowl to go along with the three that were won in the four years back in the 90s, that you would be amazed at the size of the check I would write if it would guarantee me a Super Bowl win. He has said that, if not exactly close enough to that, multiple times. But then... When you have the opportunities to make the kind of upgrade that would get you closer to winning a Super Bowl, you don't do it. Do you not do it because you don't want to pay Mike McCarthy to not work for you? Because even though Jerry Jones is ridiculously wealthy and has made this empire for himself, he's just cheap about that and doesn't want to, just like Mike Brown. The one thing he and Mike Brown have in common, they don't want to pay a coach to sit home on the couch and eat pork rinds and watch bowling like Homer Simpson. I don't know if that's part of it, but I can't help but wonder, Peter, whether the I want to win the Super Bowl every year, which has been inartfully articulated by him with other terms, the idea that I want to win the Super Bowl is a grift. It's a scam on the fans who are expected to dig deep into their wallets, buy expensive tickets, show up at the stadium, buy overpriced beer and stale popcorn and hot dogs and whatever else, buy jerseys, buy this, buy that, pay attention to the Cowboys, whenever and however and wherever the Cowboys' name comes up, all presses, good press, even the bad press, as long as they're talking about you. And he really isn't as obsessed with winning the Super Bowl as he is with maintaining this, this profile that the Cowboys have. Because in that regard, Peter, he's winning every single year. And the fact that they haven't been to an NFC Championship game for 28 years and have still maintained that status as America's team is even more amazing than winning a Super Bowl. All these other teams that fall off as it relates to being competitive fall off the radar screen as it relates to people following that team and adopting that team and wanting to talk about the Cowboys. So what he's pulled off by way of making them the center of the NFL's universe for the past 30 years when they haven't been highly competitive since 1995 is more amazing than those three Super Bowls in some respects. And I just wonder whether that's really his priority. And it's not winning the Super Bowl. It's making the Cowboys the team everybody wants to talk about because here we are on the brink of divisional round weekend right out of the gates. What are we talking about? We're talking about a team that isn't playing this weekend. Well, I think Jerry Jones recognizes that, I mean, to me, as fairly amazing to me as the Peacock and over-the-air rating for the Miami-Kansas City game when it was aired 
over the air only in Miami and Kansas City markets. It's it's almost more amazing to me that that the Dallas Green Bay game got 40 million people uh, as its kind of average viewership, whatever that number means, and the Peacock game got 23 million. And again, for the Peacock game to get 23 million is pretty amazing. That's three, two or three million more than the similar wild card game got last year. But I think Jerry Jones understands that if you put anything with the Dallas Cowboys on TV, people are going to watch. And that to me is, it's almost like a narcotic. We can't do anything to kill the beast. And so we won't do anything to kill the beast. My feeling about this is, I just think that Jerry knew what he had to do. And I don't know if the right word is he chickened out or he just was hesitant for whatever reason. He truly likes Mike McCarthy. You know, Mike, at the beginning of this season, or at the end of last season, Mike McCarthy knew that Jerry Jones wanted him to choreograph the offense, wanted him to call the plays. That's why he hired him. But when he got to the Cowboys, he said, hey, this Kellen Moore is good. Uh, Head coach, especially in this market, is a huge job. I'm going to let Kellen Moore do that. And it just wasn't working as well as they wanted to. He took it over. They had a great offense this year, a great regular season offense. And so I think Jerry Jones was really happy with how the offense went. And Mike, we haven't even gotten into this. But my one of my big questions after last week is how valuable really is Dan Quinn? I mean, answer me this question. This guy, over the end of this season, last, I figured it out, it's either five or six weeks, uh, his defense has allowed 25 points and 353 yards a game. And they were absolutely throttled by a quarterback playing his first playoff game. How in the world does Dan Quinn have no answers for the Green Bay Packers who keep going up and down the field? Make some adjustments, dude. And how and then and then this week, how do 19 teams, how are they all falling over themselves to interview Dan Quinn to be their head coach? And again, look, I like Dan Quinn. I do. Good guy, good coach. But I don't know if I would want him as my head coach right now. Just the evidence is what has been put on the field. And it's just not working. I I don't know, Mike. I think think so many things came out of that game. So many things. You, You hardly know where to start. Well, and your point about Dan Quinn is a valid one. How do you even begin to sell Dan Quinn to your fan base as your next head coach when his closing argument to become any head coach is giving up 48 points to the seventh-seeded Green Bay Packers at home following a 16-game home winning streak where they apparently were caught completely flat-footed and unprepared for what was coming? That would not be a comfortable opening press conference in Seattle or Tennessee or Atlanta. Well, not Atlanta. We've already been, been there, done that in Atlanta. They don't want any more Dan Quinn. That's at least one of the openings where there will not be a Dan Quinn interview this year. 
but it makes it very difficult. And there's already been reporting I've seen from multiple different reporters that Dan Quinn will be back as the defensive coordinator of the Cowboys if he doesn't get a head coaching job, and obviously he won't be getting a head coaching job. I'd be beyond stunned if he gets a head coaching job because you're not going to get a lot of season ticket renewals and uh, other engagement from your fan base if you say the guy who, whose defense gave up 48 points against the Packers in the wild card round is our new head coach. Now, on that loss to the Packers, let's hear from Mike McCarthy because obviously that was a topic when it was time for him to sit down with Jerry Jones and have a lengthy conversation about the most recent past and, more importantly, the future. Here's McCarthy from a press conference yesterday discussing that subject. Uh, I think we went uh, probably a little bit past three hours. Uh, we talked about a number of topics. I mean, the first topic was obviously the disappointment um, of the ending of the season. You know, went through all the layers of that. Um, then we talked about you know, pretty much everything in a football program. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll be honest. The only thing I worry about is my family. I'm, I'm very, extremely confident in who I am. Uh, I can't say that enough. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm confident in what we've done here. And, and, I, and I have great confidence in where we're going. And, and that's really was how the, it's how the meeting ended. So, and not only where we're going, but uh, we, we, got, we got work to do. You know, the job's not finished yet. And, and, and we both know that. There's that word again, confidence. That was the word that Nick Sirianni uttered after the Buccaneers throttled the Eagles on Monday night. Confidence. And as Vikram said in the office, confidence is the food of the wise man and the liquor of the fool. You better have something to back up your confidence. And I'd love to know how deep they got into what happened against the Packers. How much preparation, Mike, did you do to scout our tendencies offensively and defensively, to scout their tendencies offensively and defensively? What kind of a game plan did you craft specifically for this game based upon 17 regular season games of film that we created and that they created? Because that's one of the realities, Peter, of the postseason. You better be ready to spot your own weaknesses as manifested by a full regular season of game tape because your opponent's going to be if your opponent's doing it right. That's my big question, and who knows if that came up. Mike McCarthy, what did you and your staff do to actually prepare for this opponent? Or did you just go out and do what you always did, confident that that would be good enough? And I go back to the comment from Mike McCarthy after the game, Peter. I don't think anybody saw this coming. That was his quote. Well, shame on you. If you didn't see it coming, that means you weren't looking. Well, I think a lot of things are said after games that I, I'm not, I don't, I don't get. Of course, nobody saw 27 nothing coming. Uh, but I, I, I don't really care that much about what people say after games myself. I would be a lot more concerned. I thought that's when we get the best stuff. Oh, wait, wait, hang on a second. Let me have this. Let me let me make a point. Let me pick up, make a point. I thought the whole idea of having aggressive access by reporters to locker rooms and press conferences after games was that's when you get the truth. They don't have a chance to think about it. I thought that was the best stuff. I mean, I'm not trying to be an ass. I thought that's when you get a window into what they're really thinking, Peter. I think it is, but a head coach after that debacle when you say after that game nobody saw this coming what you mean is that 
nobody thought we were in this organization thought we were going to be be behind 27 nothing with a minute to go in the first half i don't think he's saying nobody saw what the green bay packers were going to do coming in in, in other words we were surprised by X, Y, and Z that they did on offense and X, Y, and Z what they did on defense. I don't think that's what Mike McCarthy means. I think Mike McCarthy is trying to get through a press conference and, you know, with minimum damage, uh, with the whole world watching and basically saying some things without saying anything. Because that's what coaches do after games, essentially. Now... My feeling about this game, the thing that would worry me the most, far and away, is the fact that Mike McCarthy couldn't fix anything that was going on with his offense until it was garbage time in the last, what, 15, 20 minutes of the game. And Dan Quinn couldn't fix anything ever in this game. No, nothing was adjusted to make him either stop these uh, unknown receivers or stop Aaron Jones. And that to me is a pox on their house on both sides. And Mike, we haven't even talked about it. I'm sure you have talked about it a lot this week, but what about Dak Prescott? I think everybody in America loves Dak Prescott. Great guy. I can tell you this is a, an excellent human being cares about others, cares about the planet, all that stuff. But the big question now is, why in so many big games has he been lousy? And at some point, very soon, he's at sort of the midpoint of his career right now. And at some point very soon, that is going to be who you are. It's who you are right now. And if you don't reverse that narrative soon... You're going to go down in history. Hey, real nice regular season quarterback. Certainly not even close to one of the all-time greats. And that's another thing that, you know, we haven't even talked about. He handed him 14, he handed Green Bay 14 points. I, I don't know, Mike, there's so much to worry about with the Cowboys. Next year, I'm telling you, when we see all the predictions on Labor Day weekend, I'm telling you, Someone out there, probably 20 people, are going to forget what they're feeling right now. And they're going to pick the Dallas Cowboys to make it to the Super Bowl. And I am going to laugh. <laughs> and it's nothing personal against the Dallas Cowboys. But after seeing what we've seen with this team for so long, how you could think that as currently constituted, they're going to come back and be a significant threat for the Super Bowl is just, it's laughable. Honestly, it's laughable. Prescott made the comment after the game that if Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat, he should be too. That's very easy to say when your contract virtually guarantees you're going to be back. They've got a $59.4 million cap number they have to deal with. He's going to get a market-level extension. They need it desperately in order to chop down that cap number. So Dak Prescott... As Cowboys fans shift their focus from, well, we didn't get rid of Mike McCarthy. Let's try to get rid of the quarterback. That's not going to happen to the extent that you think there's even a possibility, Cowboys fans. Here's McCarthy from yesterday talking about his end-of-season exit interview 
with his quarterback, Dak Prescott. I have unbelievable belief in Dak. I think he clearly has another step. Uh, I think this offense is, has suited him well. I think the things that we were able to improve on, um, you know, it's a system built around making the quarterback successful. Um, so, you know, the growth opportunity that we both see for the future is, you know, was, was something that we are excited about. Um, but the big part of the conversation was the disappointment, you know, and we talked about the particulars of the game and, you know, some of the things that went, that went wrong and, and, and how we can improve it. But I believe in Dak Prescott. You know, I think he's clearly the answer. Uh, he's part of the solution moving forward. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, as difficult as this time is right now, you know, when we can, you know, work through this, this emotional, you know, period that we're in, um, you know, we'll continue to build, build off of, you know, what he brings to the table. As you mentioned, Peter, postseason success just not there. Two and five, Dak Prescott in the postseason. And Mike McCarthy, one and three with the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, 12 and five, 12 and five, 12 and five, but one and three in playoff games with the Cowboys as they continue to try to get back to the NFC Championship. I did the math earlier this week, and this is amazing to me. In the first 30 Super Bowls, the Cowboys played in the game that determines who gets to the Super Bowl 16 times. 16 out of 30. More than more than one out of every other year on average. Since then, 28 years since, not a single time. Not once. I would have wagered, if, if someone had come to me in 1995 and offered a wager of everything I own, if the Cowboys don't play in a single NFC championship game between now and the year 2023, I would have taken <laughs> that bet. I would have doubled down. I would have tripled down. And, you know, Peter, to your point, there's going to be people who get caught up in the hype. Jerry Jones, the ultimate carnival barker. Everybody's going to get Always whipped up about do. the Cowboys, and they had this guy, and they had that guy. And and it happens again. And I, I'm i not part – of me, part of me likes it because I think it's more interesting to talk about the Cowboys flaming out in the postseason than it is to talk about the Cowboys thriving, although it's been so damn long since the Cowboys have thrived in the postseason. I don't remember what it feels like to talk about it. Hell, it was five, six years before I even got into the business. It's how long it's been. But, yeah, I – where is the concrete evidence going to be? And Chris went through this yesterday. All the areas, all the flaws in the Cowboys roster. Like, why in the hell does anybody think this is a Super Bowl-ready team? And I think going forward, Mike, as, as we look at the pennant race next year, you also have to ask yourself this question. What will be the composition of this Dallas team? Who will they lose? Who will they not be able to sign because mega players who are on the verge of huge new contracts, you know, like Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb, Micah Parsons, who is that going to cost them? When you have three players who are going to earn at the top of the business at incredibly expensive positions, you think C.D. Lamb is going to say in negotiations, Hey, by the way, by the way, I know that Tyreek Hill is making, however, is making in the range of $30 million, depending on how you look at the contract. That's okay. I'll only take 22 And do you think that Dak Prescott is going to say, oh, by the way, 
Joe Burrow and and uh, and and Justin Herbert and those guys. I don't have to make what those guys make. I'm going to pull a Tom Brady. I I I I'll make forty million. You just make sure you keep everybody else. I mean, hey, look, they might. We'll see. But there's only been one Tom Brady in that regard over time, and that's Tom Brady. And so, to me, I I don't know how the Cowboys run it back without fixing the problems that I'm sure that Chris Sims said. They, it's almost like they think that Tyron Smith and, and Zach Martin and these guys can play forever. And, and okay, oh, our line's okay. But the Dallas Cowboys roster is like one of those leaking dams in Holland. You know, you put one finger in the dike to plug it in, and then four other little leaks come in somewhere else. And I don't know how they're going to do it, Mike. I think it's, I think it's, it's a huge, huge problem in this this off season and next. How they manage their stars and how they build great team, a great team around them. The good news, if there is any, is that you can engineer a contract so that the early year cap hit isn't that significant. The Lamar Jackson contract, for example, has a cap charge of only $22 million in 2023. However, those dollars hit the cap eventually, and sometimes they hit with a very loud thud. And even if you can kick the can this year, next year, the year after that, you're eventually going to have a massive cap number from C.D. Lamb, a massive cap number from Micah Parsons, and you're you're still obviously going to have every single year a huge cap number from Dak Prescott. With that tax that you now pay on the salary cap that we've noticed, Peter, guys like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, the first year after the quarterback's gone, it's this massive dead money charge that teams just accept $35 million this year for the Buccaneers in Tom Brady's name. Baker Mayfield's making $4 million cash this year. They got Tom Brady on the books for $35 million on a team that's made it to the final eight with that one hand tied behind their back under the cap. But, yeah, it's going to take a lot of work for the Cowboys to pay their stars, build out the roster. Excellent point. They act like some of their good to great players are going to be around indefinitely, and they're just not. You're going to have to replace them. And when your defensive tackle taken in the first round this year, Mozzie Smith played four snaps the whole year, that's not the way you reload your roster with the low-cost draft picks you have available to you. One more point from McCarthy yesterday. We mentioned this earlier. They love him. Great flowery statement issued by Jerry Jones on Wednesday night, but no new contract. He's entering the final year. Lame duck for Mike McCarthy. Even more pressure on him in 2024. Here he is talking about this reality that he's entering the last year of his deal with the Cowboys. I've never talked about a player's contract. Um, coaches contract I mean I, I'm not going to start today but I, I will say I am very uh, confident in the direct direction um, and and I, I like where we are you know as far as um, moving forward uh, so I'm I'm very confident where I am I, I believe that uh, the the direction you know the leadership um, everything is in place and um I'm not very comfortable talking about myself, but I came here to win a championship. I didn't come here to get another contract or um, anything other than that. Um, I came to Dallas to win the world championship, and that's why I'm standing here and um, buy into us. 
Well, I mean, that's pretty much all he can do to make chicken salad out of a bad situation. You know, there was a time, Peter, where no team would ever let a coach enter the final year of his contract because the thinking was you can't really have authority in the room. You can't command the the roster the way you need to when they know there's a good chance you're not going to be here next year. So why are we listening to this guy, especially when you get late in the season? Why are we listening to him? He's out. We're going to be here. We're in a contract, but we don't care about this guy anymore. So who knows whether and to what extent that's a factor next year for the Cowboys. But it just shows that there's something more going on than we love Mike McCarthy. Because if they loved Mike McCarthy, they wouldn't let him get in a position where his contract's going to expire. And, you know, think of it this way. Because we have the conversation about Mike Tomlin all the time. And, boy, there's a lot of Steelers fans saying, why are you applying the same standard to Mike Tomlin that you apply to Mike McCarthy? Why do you think Tomlin should be back and McCarthy should be gone? If both guys were available right now, both Mikes, McCarthy and Tomlin, Tomlin gets a job today. McCarthy, who's going to hire McCarthy to be their head coach? If he was available right now, Peter, he'd get interviews because it feels like everybody's getting interviews right now. But do you think he'd get one of these available jobs if he had been fired this week by the Cowboys? He might get maybe might get Carolina or Tennessee. Um, But I'm not sure he would be a strong candidate anywhere else. Now, I don't have any idea what Carolina and Tennessee, they might have leaders in the clubhouse right now. But to me, I think teams with options are going to look at other guys. Like, for instance, you think about Ben Johnson, and he is the hot guy. And and right now, he's the guy who people are chasing. Young, hot coordinators are who people want right now. To me, Mike, and, and we'll get into this a little later, I am shocked, shocked that Mike Vrabel has had one interview in almost two weeks. Explain that to me. I, I, I need to know that. I, I, I truly... I'd love to know. Well, whenever you want to get into that, at some point in this show, I want to hear Mike Florio explain why in the 11 days since he's been fired that Mike Vrabel has talked to one team. And let's be honest, he is at best the fallback coach for the Chargers if they can't get Jim Harbaugh. So anyway, I, I didn't mean to veer off well, into let's Neverland, do it now let's do it now I, I, yeah one, one of the it's not neverland okay. it's a hot topic one of the one of the beauties of this show is we'll talk about whatever we want and i'll 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 worry later about getting in trouble with the control room for going off the off the script um i think here's my here's my quick theory and i haven't really sat down and thought about it this is just kind of what percolates from paying attention to what's going on i think he deliberately decided to lay low and see how the landscape shakes a landscape shakes out after he was fired last Tuesday. And obviously what's going to happen in new England, Belichick's out. They activate the succession plan for Gerard Mayo. So that's gone. You wait and see what's going to happen with Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. I think he did that. You wait and see what's going to happen in Dallas and Philly. It just happened yesterday that they began to activate the Mike Vrabel interview cycle. There's three teams in all that I think are planning to talk to him. And some momentum is building for him in Seattle, Peter, because to your point earlier, good luck selling Dan Quinn to the 12s 
if you're John Schneider. Even if Dan Quinn was the guy that Schneider wanted, and a lot of people as of last weekend were saying Quinn's got that job in Seattle, they're bringing Quinn back to Seattle where he was once a defensive coordinator before he became coach of the Falcons. If you can't do that now, Vrabel becomes the guy that is building steam. So I think he's getting a job. I think he deliberately decided to not rush into it because what's going to happen in New England? What's going to happen in Pittsburgh? What's going to happen in Dallas? What's going to happen in Philly? And there's still one wild card out there we talked about last week. What's going to happen in Kansas City once they're done? Is Andy Reid going to tap out and walk away? Because if I'm Vrabel, I want to wait and see what happens there too. He played there two years, and that's the only team that's got Patrick Mahomes. So I think he's deliberately taking his time to make sure he knows the full universe of openings before he commits to one of them. But that's I don't I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. What why wouldn't why wouldn't teams at least interview him now and why wouldn't he interview with them? That's not taking a job. That's sitting down across the table from Josh Harris and whoever else, Adam Peters, just to see, hey, is there a possibility we could work together? It's sitting across the table from <clears throat> you know, from David Tepper or whoever in Carolina, wherever. I just think it's weird. And by the way, and by the way, there is not a more perfect match in this coaching season. Not a more perfect match than Mike Vrabel and John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks. There is a no-nonsense coach who will put away, and again, look, Pete Carroll, fantastic for that organization. But in my opinion, I think that one of the things that probably a lot of guys in that team, in that organization, you know, they just started rolling their eyes at the end about Pete Carroll and the cheerleader stuff. You know, so Mike Vrabel, I don't think you're going to roll your eyes at Mike Vrabel because he's one of those guys from the Belichick school. You do it my way or it's the highway. And John Schneider has proven over time that he can bring in the players that he can go find a quarterback with the 75th pick. I'll get you the players. You just coach this team. I love Mike Vrabel in Seattle, and I think that would be a match made in heaven for the Seahawks. The Chargers, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the three teams that are interested in interviewing Vrabel, and he's interested apparently in interviewing with them. To your point about why wouldn't Vrabel go interview for some of these jobs, first of all, I would pay a lot of money to sit in the room for a Mike Vrabel-David Tepper meeting. I would love that because Mike Vrabel would sit down and tell David Tepper right out of the gates everything he's doing wrong. And not in a rude way, in a very matter-of-fact, this is what you're doing wrong. Starting with don't throw drinks on fans, but that one's fairly obvious. I just think that Vrabel... Vrabel doesn't like to waste his time, and Vrabel doesn't like to waste anyone else's time. And for some of these interviews, before he knows what all's out there and what his plan is, it's potentially a waste of time to go through the motions to put together your plan for what you're going to do to try to get this team to make you an offer. you got to go in there and sell yourself. I think he needs to just feel like he's in the right mindset to go in and sell himself. And a lot of that is what's the lay of the land before I say, all right, these are the jobs where I think I can go in and make a pretty good pitch for myself. And I'm willing to spend my time and I'm willing to take up their time to do it. Like you said, he's very no nonsense. 
and he doesn't suffer fools, and he's going to tell it like it is. I think he just wanted to wait and see who all is on this list. Where are the spots? And, okay, now that we know where the spots are, for the most part, we can go forward with our plan. That, that's what I think he's doing. He deliberately, I believe, laid low last week to let it all kind of play out. And now it's playing out. And I agree with you. Seattle makes a ton of sense. And with Dan Quinn DQ'd, DQ is DQ'd from being a head coach after giving up 48 to the Packers. I, yeah, Vrabel is, I think the Seahawks could do a hell of a lot worse than Mike Vrabel. And I think those fans would be thrilled if they get him. You know, the one other thing about Seattle that I think is interesting this year, I fully expect them to sort of pluck one of these quarterbacks and not necessarily in the first round because John Schneider, the one thing I love about him as a scout is that he doesn't care what I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I think he wants to listen to the other scouts and he'd like to know the opinion of people who he respects in the business about what they think about different players. But at the end of the day, if he likes a quarterback, he doesn't care if he's the 19th rated quarterback on Mel Kuyper's board. He doesn't care that Russell Wilson, that you know there was a bunch of snickering in draft rooms across the country in 2012 when he picked Russell Wilson 75th overall. And, and he, he just simply doesn't care. That is what I want in my general manager. I want somebody with the absolute courage of his convictions who can walk in. Let's say he gets Vrabel. You know what he did when he, when he drafted Russell Wilson? He came in the previous year from scouting trips. He came in after watching Russell Wilson square off with Kirk Cousins in the Big Ten championship game at Lucas Oil Stadium, in which they had a, an absolute, uh, you know, explosive game with two quarterbacks playing great. And he came back to Seattle and he told Pete Carroll, I got our guy, in essence. You have got to look at this guy. And I give Pete Carroll a lot of credit for this because there are many coaches in the NFL who say, I'm not taking a 5'10", 5'11 quarterback. You're crazy. I'm not doing that. Uh, but Pete Carroll bought into it. The rest is history. You can look at recent history and say, well, geez, how great was Russell Wilson? He was great. For a decade, he made the Seahawks matter every weekend. And so I, I just think the reason why I love this match is that John Schneider is going to get a quarterback. I don't know if it's Michael Penix. I don't know. I don't know who it is. Who knows? He's going to get a quarterback who you can win with in the NFL, mark my words. And Mike Vrabel, I'll tell you, that's the place I would want to go if I were, if I were Vrabel. John Schneider will be interviewing on Saturday an offensive coordinator whose team plays on Sunday. That same coordinator has an interview with the Chargers on Saturday and two today with the Panthers and the Commanders. Peter, this is the spot in the program. Well, I will shut up and let you share your thoughts on the wisdom and practicality of a rule that allows Ben Johnson 
as he's getting ready for the game of his life on Sunday, Buccaneers at Lions, to have four interviews over the course of the next two days. It's not only him, it's Aaron Glenn. He's got several. Uh, I read in the, I think, the Detroit News that he had four as well. But, but Mike, here's the reason why I so totally object to this. And I realize it's not the fairest thing for the coaches involved because my proposal would be that no coach be allowed to interview virtually or in person until his team is finished with the playoffs. There's a very simple reason why. You preach to your players all year. You preach to your players all the time <clears throat> that it's about the team. It's about the team. It's about the team. And what happens before your biggest game that you've ever coached? It's about me. I don't blame Ben Johnson. I don't blame Aaron Glenn. I don't blame any of these coaches. This is the way the system is set up. I would do the same thing because this is the way the game is played. So you got to play that. You got to play the game the way it's played. But last year, Mike, I don't know if you remember, in this exact week, the Dallas Cowboys played a Monday night game against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and won. And their reward, they flew back, got home at 5 o'clock in the morning in Dallas from that game, whatever time it was. And then their reward is they then have to fly to the West Coast to play the 49ers the next weekend. Dan Quinn on Friday evening, I think it was in person, but I can't swear to it. It might have been virtual. But he spent hours in an interview with Chris Ballard and Jim Ursay about the Indianapolis Colts coaching job. And I just thought, okay, well, the Colts are doing what they have to do. They're taking care of their franchise. Everyone does the logical thing. You know, the Colts, obviously, they want to interview the best coaches, so they're going to try to do it. But for Dan Quinn, in a week like that, a short week anyway, with one East Coast game on Monday and a West Coast game on Sunday, how on God's green earth does he have the time, even if it's only, and, and okay, he can squeeze it in at 8 o'clock at night. should be sleeping, or he should be uh, whatever. It's a huge mistake, and it does a gigantic disservice to the teams that they have worked for and they have worked hard for to make sure that they can go as far as they can in the playoffs. I don't like it. Nobody can defend it. Nobody. If people will say, oh, that's all right, they're they're off anyway. You think, and we've talked about this before, Mike, what do you think Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn are doing if they've got 10 free minutes during the course of the week? They're calling Coach X of the Jaguars. Hey, interested in being on my staff? Because when he interviews, and I mean, a lot of that is done already, I get it. But there are some calls that you're going to have to make because when you interview with these teams, you know what they ask you? So, Ben Johnson, who's going to be your defensive coordinator? What kind of defense are you going to run? Who's going to be on your offensive staff? Who's going to be this? He's got to spill the names. 
And so that, the whole thing is distasteful, and the NFL should quash it immediately. Every waking moment in those weeks before playoff games should be devoted to getting yourself ready, your offense or your defense ready for the game. And every minute you spend in an interview is one less minute that you have to get your team ready. And when you go home at the end of that long day of preparing your team and your spouse or significant other says, how was your day? The first topic isn't going to be, what are you doing in your two-minute offense for this game coming up? It's, have you heard anything about that job? understandably, because that's your professional ship coming in. Your ship is coming in before you're really ready to get your stuff and jump on it. All right, we've got to take a break. When we return, is Bill Belichick's ship coming in in Atlanta? Not that there's a port there. Is there even a river there? I've got to go do some geography research during the break. More PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. 